You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. I'm your host, Harry Simu. As always, this show is sponsored currently for the month of December by our friends over at Pro Prep. And we'll come on to tell you a little bit more about them a little bit later on in the show. On this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Goodison Park, which has turned into a pretty big game with all things considered, given, given some of the results around us, given the fact that we failed to take anything from Old Trafford earlier in the week, this game has an added significance now. And we'll definitely uh, dive into that. We'll talk about the significance. In my opinion, we'll talk about um, how I think Arsenal might line up, what it is that I believe we should do in terms of team selection. There's some big calls, some big decisions that Mikel Arteta will be contemplating. There's lots to get into, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Also, just want to touch on the kind of the nature of some of the debates about Arsenal going on online at the moment. Um, I've been on the receiving end of some nasty tweets today and some stupid tweets from some stupid people. But um, there is a debate to be had at this moment in time about um, how people are kind of feeling about the team at the moment, how people are feeling about Mikel Arteta's management, how people are uh, sort of judging this team before Christmas. And, and it, it's all, you know, there's a lot to get into it and there's a lot to unpack. You, you'll get what I mean when I get to it, because, you know, I, I think for me, we're in a place with Arsenal right now where we all knew at the start of the season that the aim was to get back in Europe. You know, there were people up in arms about the fact that Edu never specified a league position. He never specified a league position because for exactly this reason, because people would use it as something to constantly beat the club with. We all know that the club have ambitions of getting back into Europe. We all know that the Champions League is is the main goal. It's the main target. It's what we really, really want. Um it's where we want to be. It's where we belong as a football club, a football club of this size. But a lot of us acknowledge that we're still quite away from that. You know, we're, we're not nailed on, guaranteed to finish in the top four. So therefore, as I set it out at the start of the season, my aims and objectives and kind of ambitions and expectations were as follows. I want Arsenal to challenge for the Champions League. Of course I do. But finishing in the top four is the absolute ceiling for this Arsenal side. I genuinely do believe that. I don't think we have any chance of getting anything higher than that. We're not on Liverpool's level, as you've heard me say repeatedly over the course of this season. We're not on City's level and we're not on Chelsea's level. Manchester United, I don't even think we're on their level, but they've left the door open because of that poor run of form, because of the state they were in and the fact that they had to sack a manager, et cetera, et cetera, kind of left the door open, which means it's not impossible for somebody else to steal that full spot, although I still believe they're going to get it. Therefore, for me, top four was the, the maximum, the ceiling. Fifth is where I want us to finish. I think if we finished fifth, but we were within 
sort of reach of the top four, I think you'd have to say that was a good season when you consider we finished eighth in back-to-back campaigns. If we finish sixth, I'll say it's okay because we've hit the remit, we've hit the objective, we've hit the target. And if I think that the team is progressing and developing and some of these young players are getting better and better and we finish sixth, I'll take that too. But I've been abundantly clear that if we don't finish in the top six, then that is an absolute failure. And for me, that's when you start talking and asking questions about Mikel Arteta's future. I said it at the start of this campaign. This was his opportunity this season to wipe clean what happened last time out. It was a strange season. There was other issues that he had to contend with within the group, uh, behind the scenes. He got uh, he had a summer transfer window whereby he was supported. Let me put it this way, more than many people thought he would be. And I think up to now for Arsenal to be in the position that they're in within touching distance of the top four. I think you have to say or or you have to be calm and composed right now. And you can't be saying Mikel Arteta out, get rid of him, he's useless. But equally, you can't be saying that oh, we've completely turned the corner and we're fantastic and we're brilliant because it's still so early on in the season. So my point is not blindly back the manager, blindly back the team, blindly back the club. It is take a step back, look at where we are, look at where we probably should be, align those two or align your expectations with where you think we compare with some of the teams around us in terms of quality And then recalibrate those expectations and make sure that they're realistic so that you can be fair in your judgment and in your assessment. If you think Arsenal have a divine right and should be 100% nailed on, a guarantee for the top four, then you're deluded. Honestly, there's no other way of putting it, you know. And I've tried to put it across nicely. I tried to put it across in a way where I think that people might be able to process it but ultimately I get called deluded all the time for saying that actually you know I'm going to give this team a chance I'm going to give this manager and and this project an opportunity actually the real delusion is the delusions of grandeur the delusions from the people that think that Arsenal are better than they are that think that Arsenal have a divine right to be in the top four season in season out you know I accept that we're a huge club and we're a bigger club then two of the big three that I'm saying we're nowhere near the level of in terms of our stature, in terms of our size, in terms of our fan base. But at this moment in time, as a football team, we're not there yet. And you've got to accept that. You've got to understand that. You've got to acknowledge that. So let's um, let's focus on the Everton game a little bit and then we'll come back to this debate because I'm sure it's going to spark quite a bit of discussion in the chat box. Um, as well. Big hello to everybody who is watching us live at the moment. Big hello to those of you who will be watching this back or listening to this back a little bit later on, because I know um, a few of you are watching the Formula One. I can see from the comments. You know what? Like, I don't have a problem with people watching Formula One. Like It's your choice. And good luck to you if you enjoy it. But I just don't get the fascination. I really don't. I've tried. I've my One of my oldest friends and my closest mates, my best man at my wedding, is uh, is a fanatical F1 fan, and I just don't get it. Like I've tried so many times to sit and watch it to try and get into it. I just find it dull and boring. And yeah, 
So there you go. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get into the Everton game because I talked about this game taking on an added significance because of what happened at Old Trafford the other night. And I think that's that's really true. I think when you when you looked at this run of fixtures, and, and when I say run of fixtures, I'm talking about Manchester United, Everton and Southampton. I would have wanted seven points. That's what my aim would have been. That's what my goal would have been going into that period. I said it at the time. I, I'll repeat that now. And that is no longer possible because of the defeat at Old Trafford. I feel like the defeat at Old Trafford was frustrating and disappointing because I don't think we played that badly overall because I don't think Manchester United were that good. I think it was a combination of those two things that made me feel right from the very off on, on Thursday night that Manchester United were there for the taking. We didn't take the opportunity. We didn't take the chance. We didn't cash in on it. We lost um, due to slack defending, due to, in my opinion, as I described on the post-match, um, on the tactical analysis show, sorry, the one that we did the following day, I found it that, you know, or I found it the case to be that Arsenal weren't brave enough, that Arsenal weren't bold enough, that Arsenal weren't willing to commit extra bodies forward in key areas that could have created overloads and ultimately put Manchester United to the sword. So it was a hard defeat to stomach a hard one to take. And I've got to admit, for a few days, I've been feeling quite downbeat about it all and, and quite frustrated about it. And when you go back to that discussion I was having just a minute ago about people wanting to call for the manager's head now or, you know, wanting to make their points about the manager in the aftermath of that, I think a lot of that stems from the disappointment and frustration of us not getting anything at Old Trafford. But the reality is this. You can never lose sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is on the t league table. You've also got to consider that we're in this position that we're in now, but we haven't played any of the, you know, with the exception of Chelsea, we've played Liverpool away, we've played Man City away, and we've played Manchester United away. Now, a lot of people keep saying to me, oh, but look at West Ham. West Ham managed to get results against the big sides. They got a result against Liverpool. They got a result against Chelsea. Yeah, they do. But they also drop points. They also drop stupid points. Stupid points that Arsenal haven't dropped in recent times. You know, West Ham had been on a winless run or on a poor run going into that game against Chelsea. But nobody seems to talk about that. They just look at, West Ham beating Chelsea and say, well, Arsenal can't do that and West Ham can. It's not as simple as that. Also, the results that they have got against these sides, they've got them at home. If Arsenal take on these sides that we're talking about, these sides that are superior to us, and we don't even make a crack of it at home, and I know the Chelsea one's already done, but if we do take on these sides and we don't even make a crack of it at home, then I would be much more concerned, much more worried and be making a much bigger deal out of it than I am with the away games. So th this is my point. I think, you know, we can skew narratives either way. We can shape and mould narratives to be what we want them to be. You know, I could paint this massive picture about how much better Arsenal are now than they were last season. I could talk about it for hours. Equally, someone else could take their uh, their viewpoint, which would be different, and say, well, 
you know, we haven't improved because of X, Y, Z. And and both sides of the coin are, you know, are fair. Both sides of the argument are valid. My problem is that the timing of, of people wanting to be negative and wanting to have a go at Mikel Arteta is silly. You know, we're not in, I heard somebody referred, um, not just one person, I've seen it a couple of times. We need to win at Everton because we need to get out of this rot. We need to get out of this cycle. We need to get out of this. We're not in a cycle. We've been to Anfield and Old Trafford, two games that, theoretically speaking, on paper, we should have lost. You know, looking at how we've gotten on over the last couple of seasons. Okay, maybe not Man United, but definitely Liverpool. We lost that game. It was a game that nobody really, outside of the Arsenal stratosphere, gave us a kind of hope of um of getting a result in because Liverpool are that much better than us and they're perceived by everybody else to be that much better than us. We then took on a Newcastle United side, a side that we were expected to beat. And guess what? We beat them. And we're probably going to beat Southampton. Um, you know, we're probably going to beat Southampton next week, another team that we should be beating. You know, if we beat Everton tomorrow, that's a, a team that we should be beating looking at where they are, looking at where we are. And and this is the point that I'm trying to make. It's We've not gone through this run of results whereby we've been hopeless and, and we've been dispatched of by sides that are not on our level, which would indicate a crisis. That's not where we are at this moment in time. We are a team whose ceiling, in my opinion, as I've already said, is in the top four, is to get to the top four. Now, if you if Arsenal finished fourth, I believe that is the absolute maximum that Mikel Arteta could achieve with this group of players. I would also say the same thing if Carlo Ancelotti was managing the team, a multiple title winning manager. I'd say the same thing if Antonio Conte was managing the team. I'd say the same thing if Jurgen Klopp was managing the team. And I'd say the same thing as Pep Guardiola was managing the team. Would we have more chance of achieving it with one of those guys? Maybe. That's, you know, that's not, I'm not denying that. I'm not disputing that those guys are better managers at this stage than Mikel Arteta. But a manager can only do so much in football. And often we overvalue the actual impact a manager can have or influence a manager can have. Can they create the right culture? Yes. Can they set you up in the best way possible tactically? Yes. Can they make in-game changes that give you a better chance of winning the game? Yes. But ultimately, the players on that pitch have to go out there and deliver. And once they cross the white line, and you'd have heard multiple ex-pros say this, once they cross the white line, it's over to the players. And if the players aren't at the same level, aren't of the same quality, then it's going to be difficult. And more often than not, they're going to fall short. And and I just want to, before we quickly focus, I know I said I'm going to focus on Everton already and I'm, I'm still going on about this whole discussion and debate. But if I just take you back to Manchester United 3, Arsenal 2, just a few days ago, and I take you in particular to the statistics, Arsenal managed 17 attempts at goal at Old Trafford. And people tell me that the manager's got us set up in a way where we can't attack. 17 attempts in comparison to Manchester United's 14. It's not a problem with the way we're set up. It's not a problem with what Mikel Arteta is asking them to do. Mikel Arteta is not saying to them, please don't attack. 
please be toothless please be slow please be boring and and safe in your build-ups he's not saying that come on but the chances we did get they fell to players who are not at the level to tuck those away week in week out ruthlessly you know there's a lot of love for Gabriel Martinelli around at the moment and rightly so he's a fantastic young player they missed a glorious opportunity when we were 1-0 up to make it two and if he scores that the game is very very different Will Cristiano Ronaldo score that? I bet he bloody would. And that's the difference between having the very best players and having players of a lower level or players who are currently at a lower level and have the potential to reach that level. That's the difference. Man United, when they get opportunities, they come. I commentated on Manchester United's game today against um, against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace sat quite deep. Crystal Palace defended. Crystal Palace was stubborn opponents. But Manchester United pulled out a moment of brilliance, a lovely bit of play on the edge of the box by Greenwood. He laid it off to Fred, opened up his boot and rattled one into the top corner. Even better teams, even teams with better players on paper don't always click. And sometimes they need a moment of magic from somebody to dig them out of a hole. You know, imagine that Manchester United were held at home by Crystal Palace this afternoon. What the what the talk would be now around Ralph Ragnick. Because everybody's so keen to be negative and so keen to jump on a, a negative kind of, you know, bandwagon. Ralph Ranić hasn't had any time with his team. He's been there for a day. He had one training session from what I was reading earlier today. But you can bet your bottom dollar if Manchester United had failed today, people would have started saying, oh, why did why did they get Ralph Ranić? Why did they get a manager who's never won anything? Because that's just the way the football world is now. It's a horrible place to be at times. And all I am saying is have your opinions on Mikel Arteta. If you feel that he is not the right man, if you feel that we would be in a better position with somebody else, that's absolutely fine. And it's a fair opinion to have. What I can't stand is that every time we lose a game, people wheel out these opinions, park them in the middle of the kind of road and say, well, yeah, I'm sticking by this and I'm not moving. Whereas a few weeks ago when Arsenal were winning, and we were on that incredible run. I weren't hearing any of this. I weren't seeing it on social media the way I've seen it in the aftermath of the Liverpool game and now in more so in the aftermath of the Manchester United game. So all I'm saying is just be chilled, you know, and it's not easy. You know, I'm a lifelong Arsenal fan. Believe me, like I'm not cold to it because of my job. I'm, if anything, for me, it's worse. You know, imagine... You wake up on a Monday morning and you go to work and you get busy and you get occupied and you probably stop for a bit thinking about Arsenal. Imagine going into work and having to focus your entire week's work around what happened with the Arsenal. It's difficult to forget it and it does frustrate me and I hate working in a negative environment, but it's got to it's got to be done. And and this is why for me, I just think and, and I'm probably more annoyed about or more passionate about this whole negativity thing since I've been working in the industry because it now when I see it every day all day and I can't really avoid it it does irritate me more than it did when I could just go to work do something else switch off from it from nine to five so it is um yeah maybe that plays a part in it maybe you, you, you there'll be people there who think that I'm making too much of a big thing of this but that's why and then I hear people talking about toxic positivity. I mean, I've seen, I've had some tweets this evening and, and throughout the day 
off the back of my chat with Dan Potts on on Twitter earlier on today. Listen, I love Dan Potts. He's a top guy. He's a great guy. He's a good mate of mine. We disagree when it comes to football and a lot of things. That's that's fine. It's not an issue. Like it's not personal. I'm not going to. Um, you know, I will still go for a beer with Dan Potts, regardless of what we think of each other's football opinions, because it's a friendship is deeper than that, right? But the point I'm trying to make is we can have a debate on Twitter and then you get other people jumping on the bandwagon. I'll tell you what I've got here. Look, um, I've got a tweet from someone. Seventh with one game a week under this manager. I hold the likes of Harry Simu. Chris Wheatley, Bavs, Eduardo Hagen and Gunner Blog, personally responsible. If it wasn't for these toxic scumbags, we could have Conte or Ten Hag in charge now. They're not Arsenal. Do people genuinely think that, that we all come together around the table on a Monday and say, how can we spin the Arsenal in a positive way this week and come up with this master plan and then put out co uh, content to kind of complement that plan? Honestly, it, all we do is put our opinions out, okay? I, I can't speak for the others. Let's be fair. I can speak for myself. I put my opinions out. Some people like them. Some people don't. If you don't, yet you're spending your Sunday scrolling through social media looking for things I've said and how you can reinterpret those or whatever. That says more about you. I've got two beautiful kids, a family, other things to do. I don't have time to dig through Twitter to, um, you know, to, to, to start having a go at people and to start suggesting that they're in this kind of little group that's all got together to try and spring, spin these new narratives. It's absolute madness. But, what the bit that always gets me is when people call it toxic positivity. What what is toxic positivity? What even is that? You know, it's it's something that Arsenal fans have come up with. I don't know what is it. Like somebody tell me, please, in the chat. What the hell is toxic positivity? I think when you are a football fan, you will inevitably experience lows, and those lows hurt. The way you balance the equilibrium is that you enjoy the highs and that's why you love football because more most of the time you will get a bit of both and the equilibrium is as balanced as it can be depending on the club that you support right for example arsenal you know we lost uh, a champions league final that was the lowest for me but we also won a league at old trafford which made me feel amazing and and the point here is that you take the good with the bad you take the rough with the smooth and if you can't enjoy the victories and if you can't enjoy when the team are on a good run, then what the fuck is the point in supporting them? What are you doing with your life? There's no, there's no there's such thing as toxic positivity. What's toxic is staying in a relationship, i.e. your relationship with the football club, that clearly doesn't work for you regardless of how the team are doing. That's toxic. And in which case, if it makes you feel like that and it makes you feel apathetic and upset and frustrated, then you might as well jog on and do something else. You might as well watch the Formula One instead. You know, it's it's weird to me that people revel in the misery, but don't want to take joy from the positives. 
it, it, it's it's really weird to me. I don't get it. And to say that Mikel Arteta deserves this season, his second full season in charge, with a fairly decent transfer window behind him, to prove himself, I think is absolutely 100% fair. And people say to me, and, and the classic I always get is, um, well, when Emery was in charge, you weren't looking at it this way with Unai Emery. You were much more kind of, you know, this isn't working. We need to move on from it. We need to think about it. Here's where I am. And here's why I see the Emery situation as very, very different to the situation at Arsenal now. When Unai Emery took charge of Arsenal Football Club, we had just moved on from an institutional manager in in, in Arsene Wenger. Someone who was ingrained in every element of this football club. And we moved on from him. And it was going to be a difficult transition. But what needed to happen was there needed to be a plan. And there was absolutely no plan whatsoever. They hired a manager who was clearly not their first choice. If he was their first choice, he'd have got a much better contract than the one he did in terms of length, in terms of finances, etc., etc. There was multiple interviews that took place and we ended up with Unai Emery, somebody that not a single one of us asked for or called for or wanted when the names were being banded about who might take over from Arsene Wenger. In he came, let's give him a chance. What happened with Unai Emery? We brought him in. He told the club he wanted to sign Stephen and Zonzi or a midfielder of that ilk. They brought him Lucas Torreira, who's half his size. Completely different player, completely different stature. He told them he wanted Wilfred Zaha. They bought him Nicolas Pepe. And that's just to name a few. He brought Socrates to the club, an over-the-hill central defender. He brought Stefan Licksteiner to the club, an over-the-hill right back. And look, I know that Unai Emery didn't have a hand in all of these signings. And I know all of these uh, decisions were not Unai Emery's. But the fact that they weren't Unai Emery's just reiterates my point that the club didn't have a plan. The club didn't know what they were doing. And the only way you need to kind of the only thing you need to look at to understand that there were so many mistakes made during that period is that where are those players now? Licksteiner's gone, long gone. He went after a season. Socrates, gone. Lucas Torreira, out on loan because we can't sell him. Matteo Genduzzi, out on loan because nobody will buy him. You know, it's Henrik Mkhitaryan. Where did, what happened with him? You know, there's, you know, there were a lot of players in and around the club at that point who we brought there, you know, Bern Leno, another one, a goalkeeper that we brought in during that period of time. And now he's not even good enough to to displace a goalkeeper who's been relegated on multiple occasions. So the, the point I'm trying to make is we made a lot of bad decisions during that point as a club. So at that point, I felt that, well, the club don't bloody know what they're doing. And Unai Emery is not strong enough, not powerful enough to get his own way. And it's not working. It worked in the short term. We got into fifth place in the league. We got to the Europa League final, which we got absolutely spanked in. But that short-term relative success that we had in the first season under Emery was clearly not sustainable because look in the second half of his tenure. Look what happened in the second season. We ended up having to sack him, bring in another manager, and the other manager had to clean up not just the shit that Arsene Wenger had left behind, and there was a lot of that, but also had to clean up the shit that Unai Emery left behind or that Unai Emery's time was responsible for. 
if you don't want to pin the blame on him for those players. And, and that I accept, even though I was a critic of his, I do acknowledge that a lot of those deals were not his choices. The reason I'm giving Mikel Arteta more time is because I can see a plan. The first phase of that plan was clearing out that shit. And we've done most of that now. Still a couple of them hanging around, but we've done the majority of it. The next phase is the rebuild. But the rebuild isn't going to happen overnight. You're not going to bring in 11 players of a high calibre in one summer and then bang, there you go. You've also got to recognise that the plan clearly is to get players in of a certain age bracket, of a certain profile. And that means that it's going to take a bit of time. It's short-term pain for the long-term gain. I think that when you think about it that way and when you look at what we're doing now, I think it's fair that he's given this season. But I, I, I reiterate my point. We don't finish in the top six this season. Mikel Arteta can get on his bike and go and so can Edu. But how can I say that in December? Is it a December where we're languishing in mid-table and looking a million miles away from where our objectives lay? No. You know, we're seventh at the moment only because everybody else or the majority of the teams have played this weekend. We win tomorrow. We move on to 26 points, back into fifth, and we're within a point of the top four. So if you are being overly negative now, if you are being toxic now, you're doing it for one of two reasons. A, you you have been so anti-Mikel Arteta that you can't ever change your stance. Because for me, what I would say is this, evidence changes all the time in front of us. It's like a court saying we prosecuted somebody for whatever. New evidence has come to light, but we don't want to accept that new evidence because it's new and we don't want to change our minds. So we're just going to let that person rot for the rest of their lives. No, when new evidence comes to light, you review it. And that can sometimes lead to you changing your mind. And it's the same with football. You'll see things developing, changing over time. And you should be able, open-minded enough to take that evidence on board and go, okay, maybe my opinion can change. So this notion that changing your view or changing your opinion is, is fucking madness, is fucking madness. It, it's, it's, that's not the way it goes. The other thing I'd say is, you're either, as I say, you're either so, or you have been so anti-Arteta that you can't change your mind, or you're one of those people that's trying to get in their early doors. So you can say that when Arteta gets sacked, well, I told you a year ago that he was not the man. I told you a year ago that he wasn't the right man. At this point in this season, a lot of, I would say most of the sensible fans agreed that this was his, his season in which he had to prove himself. And if he doesn't, off you go. Most fans would have said that. So if you did say that at the start of the season, that you're going to give him this season and we'll see how it goes and then you'll make your decision or you'll make your decision at the point whereby our objectives are no longer achievable this season, then that's fair. But if in December, when a win tomorrow, a win on Monday night could take us to within a point of the top four, you're saying I'll tether out, I'll tether out, I'll tether out. It's an agenda. I'm sorry. Because you're either so anti-Arteta, you don't want to turn back, you don't want to change your mind. And, you know, people that don't change their minds or are unwilling to change their minds are people who don't learn stuff. You know, you, you learn throughout life and that can lead to you changing your minds. You know, that's where, that's, that's where education comes from, understanding and accepting that you don't know everything about everything. 
I don't know everything about everything. If someone who knows more about something tells me something, then I'm I'm going to listen. Might not change my view, but I'll listen. And you should, and you should always be open-minded. When new evidence comes, you should always be open-minded. And all of that stuff is, I think, really key in, in development in so many ways. Uh, let me just quickly answer this question from Fala before we if we finally go on to talk about the Everton game because we've been rambling on. Well, I've been rambling on for half an hour now. Fala Sana says, um, please answer this question. If Arsenal don't manage to make the top six and opt not to fire Arteta, what are we fans supposed to do? If Arsenal don't finish in the top six and don't fire Arteta, then direct your frustrations at the club. Direct your frustration at the club. Don't direct the frustration at people online who were open-minded enough to give an opportunity, who were open-minded enough to see the bigger picture and give this project the time it needs for us to understand whether it's the right thing or not. Direct it at the football club. Because ultimately, no matter how many people go on Twitter and say that me or this journalist or that writer or this podcaster or whoever are influencing the crawling the Cronkies' decisions, it's just not true. Stan Cronkie, Josh Cronkie, they don't know that I exist. Okay? They do not know that I exist. They do not listen to me. They do not take my opinions on as part of... Um, their strategy, they it's its complete nonsense. People being positive about their club, they're being positive because they want to, be, half the time it's because they believe it and half the time it's because they want to believe it. And why wouldn't you want to believe that your club is moving in the right direction if there is some evidence that shows you that? And I think this season there has been evidence that shows us that. I think the summer transfer window showed us that we're moving at least in the right direction in terms of the types of players that we're trying to bring in. It's not all doom and gloom all the time. It doesn't need to be. You can make it like that if you want, if that's how you like to consume football. Do you like to consume football by being outraged, pissed off and upset all the time? If that's what you like, then I think it's probably more drama that you're into. And Maybe you should watch a soap instead. I don't know. Uh, but thank you for your question, Fala, because it is a good question. But I would say if we get to that point and, you know, he, we've not achieved our objectives and he's still at the club, then then I would be the first one to say, well, we need to have a look at this. And he probably does need to move on. But at this moment in time, it's so unfair when tomorrow night we could be within a point of the top four. And I'm telling you that I believe top four is is the ceiling for us. I think a lot of people in the chat have agreed with that. I'm saying how, if I feel that, how can I then have a go at Mikel Arteta when he's in the position that he is in currently? Uh, Omar says, Harry, can I get my 30 minutes back? No. Um, <laughs> uh, what else have we got in the chat? Um, Thibaut Pesk says, tomorrow night we could be seventh. Yeah, we could be, but but we might not be either. And that, that that's the classic example of someone looking at the glass half empty rather than the glass half full. We haven't even played the game yet. Uh, right. Anyway, let's uh, before we move on, I just need to bring you guys a quick message from our wonderful sponsors over at Pro Prep. We thank them for their very kind sponsorship of the program throughout the month of December. Uh, Pro Prep is a uh, study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules. It can half your study time. Pro Prep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device 
at any time. It's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so you'll be ready. You can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and receive video answers within 24 hours. The team over at ProPrep have created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website, which is linked in the description below. Uh, you'll get more information there. And from there, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial without the requirement of putting in any credit card details. That's ProPrep.uk uh slash info slash football pro prep the ultimate study tool and we thank them for their very kind sponsorship right uh cool let's um let's start looking ahead to the everton game there so added significance yes there is because we lost the old trafford everton are a side who are on their knees at the moment you know form is not good but and and this is not me making an excuse i know some people are going to say it is there is no game in the Premier League that you can take for granted. Everybody has ability. Everybody has quality players. Now more than ever, we've got top quality managers like Rafa Benitez uh, managing clubs that are currently sitting 16th in the Premier League. So it is a much more competitive league than it's ever been. It is a really difficult league. And going to Goodison Park, you know, it's been it's been um, it's been difficult over the years. You'd like to go there now more than you would have done in the past because of the lack of confidence on Merseyside and, and the problems that they're facing. I guess for me, it would have been nice had we got something at Old Trafford because it would have, especially a win, because it would have just not kind of relinquished my desire to see Arsenal go and win at Goodison Park or or any of that. But it would it would just take the pressure off because I feel like the pressure is on. And, and actually, when you look at this, Going back to what I've just been saying over the last half an hour, the pressure is on from our fans more than anyone else. And that, for me, is, you know, it can be positive, but it, it's positive when you are a bunch of seasoned pros who have, have experienced it all and, and need that pressure to keep you fresh and keep you motivated. When it's a group of youngsters, it can go one of two ways. You can either have players who respond to it brilliantly or you can have players who crumble under it. So. I dread to think what the reaction is going to be if we don't go and win at Everton. I think that Rafa Benitez's side, especially now they're lacking in confidence, are going to drop off. They're going to sit deep. They're going to try and make it difficult for us. I do expect Arsenal to have the lion's share of possession. Everton can be a threat on the break. You know, they've got some some dangerous players in the attacking areas. I'm a huge fan of Richarlison. Um, you know, he's somebody that I really, really like. He's a bit of a a dirt bag, to be honest. Um, but you kind of like those players as well, to a degree, don't you? He's one of those that if he played for your club, you'd love him. But when he plays for everybody else, you can't stand him. But I just think for me, um, it's 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 become a must-win game now. And, and look, I'm not going to sit here uh, on Monday night after the game and tell you guys to, to keep calm if we get beat. Because I think if we do get beat, then that will be a couple of steps back for this Arsenal side. As I say, I think we did incredibly well to kind of put that pressure to one side and beat Newcastle United, despite Eddie Howe being in the dugout for the first time, etc., etc. after what could have been a really demoralising defeat at Anfield. I'm glad we bounced back. I'm glad we got back on the road quickly. We then went to Old Trafford. It didn't go our way and we kind of have to do this again. 
And and we have to do it again because of our league position. We have to do it again to keep within touching distance of the top four and the teams that we're in direct competition with. But we also have to do it to keep the fans believing clearly because the aftermath of the Manchester United game has been very negative, I feel, and has been over the top in some departments. So for me now, it's it's more than ever important that Arsenal go out there, come away with three points, then go and beat Southampton so that those people who maybe had a bit of a wobble after Old Trafford are going, OK, you know what, maybe that wasn't justified. Maybe I didn't need to react the way I did. Maybe things are... Um, you know, are better. Maybe things are better this season. Maybe we we are on course. And look, the Christmas period is always very demanding. The Christmas period, I always say, is is when you can make or break your season. I think that there are so many games, they come thick and fast. It's when fatigue kicks in. It's when injuries kick in. Obviously, not being in Europe is a, a massive bonus in that sense, in the sense that we don't play as many games or over the course of the season, won't play as many games as some of those teams in and around us. The negative is that when you need to call upon people who have had less um, less game time, they're not always ready. They're not always up to the standard because they've not been playing in Europe. They've not been given those opportunities. So, you know, it's a, it's a really big game for me. It's a really, really important game. But I think that Mikel Arteta has got some big decisions to make going into this one. And we'll talk about some of those now uh, as I just share the screen so that we can pick uh, the team that I would like to see uh, line up against Everton uh, on Monday night. I'm going to start with the goalkeeper. And again, there's no real dispute here for me. It's Aaron Ramsdale for sure um, in between the sticks. I think he's been a revelation since he's joined the club. He's been a massive positive. And the, the fact that Arsenal were able to identify him when a lot of us, including myself, weren't happy or positive about the idea of signing him. I think the fact that Arsenal have managed to to identify him, find him and bring him to the club is a positive. And it's a testament to the fact that we do seem to, in the most part, be better in the recruitment. Now, we do um, get things wrong. Everyone gets things wrong. Even the best directors of football, um, you know, are uh, have bad ones on their records. It's just the way it goes. Um, it's just the way it goes. But anyway, uh, let's uh, let's continue working our way through the team. Before, I, I just want to apologise. Ekene says, uh, Harry, your show today is so dull. I'm sorry, mate. I do apologise. Um, but I this this entire podcast is, is where it is today, based on um, talking about matters around Arsenal. And I feel that this was something that needed to be talked about today because of, um, because of the mood around the club and, and the mood around sections of the fan base off the back of that Man United defeat. So I'm sorry that you found it dull, but um, it's, it's what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, moving into the defence then. So left back, I'm going to go with Kieran Tierney. I want to see Kieran Tierney come back into the side, not because I think that Nuno did an awful lot wrong um, at uh, at Old Trafford, but I just think that, you know, I just think Kieran Tierney needs to come back into the side. I think we need that added little bit of stability when we're defending in that position. I think that I was a little bit frustrated, although I didn't really go in hard on Nuno. I was a little bit um, frustrated with the... Uh, I was a little bit frustrated with um, with the way we conceded the second goal just after half time, I felt like if we were a little bit more reserved in the way we set up on that left-hand side, 
we'd have been able to cover it a bit better. I felt like it was too easy for United to expose us down that flank. So I like Nuno. I really, really do. But Kieran Tini is going to come back in at some point. And I think Everton's probably uh, a good place to do that, where we might be under a bit of pressure. Remember, Rafa Benitez's job is on the line. He could well be sacked if, if they lose to us. I think they'll be up for it. I think in front of a, a Goodison Park crowd, I think with Liverpool, the problem was that they went behind quite early. And when that happens, it's kind of like, oh. But Arsenal are not as explosive as Liverpool. Arsenal are not as dominating as Liverpool. So they'll be confident that if they can weather the early storm, that they stand a good chance of getting points at Goodison Park. At centre-back, again, this picks itself for me. The, the rest of the back line picks itself for me. It's Gabriel, it's White, and it's Takahiro Tomiyasu, um, who I thought, again, had a good game up at Old Trafford the other night. Moving into midfield, um, I'm going to bring Lakonga back into the side because, listen, Elneny didn't do anything wrong. I actually thought Elneny was better than Thomas Partey on uh, Thursday night. But Lakonga, he's the future. You know, he's the future. And I think this is going to be a game where we're going to need a, a slightly different skill set. I don't think we're going to have or, or we're going to surrender as much possession as we did at Old Trafford. I think we're going to be in a place where we are um, trying to you know, I think we're going to be in a position where we're trying to break a team down more than we are defending on Monday night. And I think Lokonga's range and, and sort of ability to play progressive passes a little bit more frequently makes him a better fit. I, I thought, as I said, Elneny was quite solid at Old Trafford, but that's not what I'm looking for uh, today. Uh, I'm going to go with Thomas Partey alongside him. Look, I did an episode yesterday on what's what's up with Thomas Partey. I do think that there are issues with Thomas Partey at the moment. I don't think he's the transformative midfielder at this moment in time that we felt he was when we signed him. I I said on the show that I felt like he's, when you think of those really great performances that he's had in an Arsenal shirt, that they are too few and far between. There aren't that many of them. And that's underwhelming. But he is still better than the other options that we have at our disposal. And without Granite Xhaka, another senior player who's uh, quite comfortable sitting in the middle of the park, I don't think you can drop him. I don't think you can go to Goodison Park with a Lokonga and Maitland-Niles combo, for example. So I would leave Thomas Partey in the side. Um, moving that little bit further forward, I know a lot of people are going to massively disagree with this because of the way he conceded the penalty um, the other night. But I'm going to leave Martin Odegaard in there. And I'm going to leave him in there because I've just been doing some some studying over the last couple of weeks. We have much more possession with him in the team. We have much more attempts at goal because of spaces he picks up, because of the way he occupies defenders in certain areas. And although he's not always the man playing the killer pass and creating the chances and opening teams up, he brings a lot to this side. He also presses incredibly well. And, and I would like to see Martin Odegaard continue in that number 10 position. Although he made a huge cock up at Old Trafford the other night, um, he did uh, score a good goal. He did, um, you know, contribute to some good patterns of play as well. So, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Martin Odegaard. I would leave him in the team. I think Arsenal, as Nicholas says in the chat, are a better team with him in it than without him. Uh, moving further forward, I'm going to go with uh, Emil Smith Rowe from the left. Um, I think this is going to be interesting because Emil Smith Rowe kind of really came into form when Nuno Tavares was playing there. And actually, I'm curious to see how he's going to get on with Kieran Tierney. 
uh, from the left-hand side because we know that Smith-Rowe likes to drift in field naturally um, being a right-footed player and, and we know that Kieran Tierney more often than not likes to bomb on on the outside. So I think those two could complement each other quite well. Uh, he didn't play the other day. Um, so I'm going to go with Saka on the right-hand side. Uh, came on as a sub. I think that we missed him the other day. Uh, I, that's not to take away from Gabriel Martinelli because I thought he was very, very good. Um, but I just thought that, I just think Saka brings a little bit of something different. Um, Martinelli is very aggressive. He's good at hassling, harrying. It's a little bit chaotic with um, with Gabriel Martinelli. It's not always a bad thing. I always talk about unpredictability and the ability to be chaotic in, in and around the penalty area can often be what undoes teams and opens teams up. But I think that Saka will come back in um, and, and I think he just brings a little bit more control for us on that right flank. The big one is Aubameyang up top. Does Aubameyang play um, yay or nay? I know a lot of people are um, very much of the opinion that he should be dropped and he should be replaced with Gabriel Martinelli. I, I'm not sure about that. I'm, I'm really not. I think that for me... You know, Gabriel Martinelli has made it clear time and time again that he isn't a centre forward. You know, Mikel Arteta might have different views, uh, different opinions on what, uh, you know, on where Gabriel Martinelli's future lies. But it's clear that Martinelli's not himself convinced he's a centre forward. And I don't think that for me, um, he's the right option to play through the middle. Equally, I agree that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was poor. Um, he has been poor quite a bit recently. I've talked about an, an up, an upward trend or an increase in terms of his work rate and the way he closes people down and seems to be a lot more of a team player nowadays. But it's that's not enough. You know, you need that and quality. You need that and some kind of, you know, and, and to have an impact on us in terms of scoring goals because we're not a team that gets an awful lot of goals from around the team. You know, Saka scores not as much as he should. Smith Rowe's picked up in that department this season. Odegaard doesn't score as much as he should. We certainly don't get goals out of Lekonga on Partey with any regularity. And and so you look at this team and there's a huge reliance on the striker to score goals. I, I don't think that um that Abamyang is, is is in the right space at this minute in terms of his form. I don't think that Mikel Arteta will drop him. For what it's worth, I think Mikel Arteta will start him up front. He's his captain. He puts a lot of faith and a lot of trust in him. I, though, would go with Alexander Lacazette this time. I think some of the best performances we saw last season were with Lacazette in that role. And, and the link-up between him, Smith-Rowe, Saka and Odegaard at times was really, really impressive. I'd like to see how that works again. Um, I'd like to see how that goes. I really would. Um you know, let's uh, let's give it a go. I, I would leave, as I say, I would leave Aubameyang out, but it would be Lacazette up front for me, not Gabriel Martinelli. I'm sure Martinelli will have a part to play, a role to play. I'm sure he will get some minutes. He's, you know, he's been knocking on the door. He came on, he did brilliantly um, when, uh, when called upon against Newcastle and then followed it up with what I thought was, was a good performance at Old Trafford. He's certainly making waves. He's certainly... Um, kind of putting pressure on Mikel Arteta to pick him week in, week out. But with the return of Bakayo Saka, I don't think that you can drop Saka. I don't think you can leave him out for Martinelli. And so um, that's the team I would go with. Um, Halo says, who is the captain in that team? I'd give it to Lacazette. 
Um, you know, or you could give it to Kieran Tierney if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, I, I'd I'd give it to Lacazette of that eleven that I've picked. So just to uh, quickly remind you of the team that I have picked. And again, just to reiterate the point, it is the team that I'm picking, not the team I necessarily think Arteta is going to pick. Ramsdale in goal, Tomiyasu White, Gabriel Tierney across the back line, Lekonga and Partey in midfield, Odegaard in the 10 role, Smithrow from the left, Saka from the right, and Lacazette as the centre forward. I do think, for the record, that Mikel Arteta picks Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I really do. Um, and, and that will maybe be the difference between the two sides, between what I've picked and what he's picked. But yeah, um, that's where I'm at. So, uh, going to leave it there. No, going to give you my prediction. Almost bloody forgot. Uh, my prediction for this one. Ooh, I'm going to go for an Arsenal win. I'm going to go for a... 2-1 win to the Arsenal. I think we're going to go 2-0 up. I think we're going to inevitably concede a stupid goal, which leads to us having a nervy finish. But I think Arsenal will get over the line. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go Everton 1, Arsenal 2 as my prediction. And uh, that's the team I would like to see Mikel Arteta pick. Big, big game. Lots riding on it now, especially after that result at Old Trafford. As I said, there's a lot of pressure on Arsenal to... Um, prove the doubters wrong, to get back on track, to close the gap to the top four, to within a point, keep ourselves within touching distance going into what's going to be a hectic Christmas period. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Remember, uh, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. It really, really helps on the video. Let's just have a look, actually. Look, there's over 170 of you watching. We've only got 47 likes on the board. Come on, let's get that up to 75 at least by the time the outro plays. That should be light work. Uh, so hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you want to go one further and become a member, you can do so. There is a members bit of content dropping tomorrow. It's a Q&A where I've collated some of your questions from the Discord server. And that'll be coming out to you. I should have put it out on Saturday, uh, sorry, on Sunday, but I never got around to it today. That is because I was working on the United game. It was a last minute uh, appointment for me. So um, yeah, didn't get to get it out then, but it will be out for you tomorrow. Until next time, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe. And uh, between now and uh, tomorrow, don't bite all your nails off. And uh, Fingers crossed Arsenal can get all three points and get back on track. Goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.